This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, Gemini Man, episodes one and two. Operation delivery will begin at precisely 0500 hours when an army convoy will depart the laboratory. But in view of the security breach and just between the four of us, that convoy will be a decoy and will not be carrying the tripolidine. All right, so who will? You will, Sam. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast running on sailboat fuel, watching this Dreamweaver crack him up in the show-off lane. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? That was uh, some Olympic-level uh, tongue twisters there you got going. It was all trucker talk. Was that, <laughs> was that what that all was? I have to say, I didn't recognize it at first, but this show has so much trucker talk that they just throw out there very uh, offhanded, very casually. And it's like, what What are they talking about? Yeah, it's uh, I, I had found a 70s trucker dictionary to try to like write something. Oh, really? Uh, a lot of it is uh, very uh, questionable. It shouldn't be said out loud, but I found a few pieces that weren't too bad. Is that because it's not because they're sexually oriented and it has more to do with some uh, race comments that have not aged particularly well? Oh, no, it's uh, it's about women. <laughs> Oh, it's about women. Oh, well, I was right the first time. You're right to begin with. <laughs> so let me ask you something. This lingo, do you think this was to confuse other people listening? Because it clearly didn't speed things up because none of these phrases are any take any less time than actually saying what you mean. Or is it more just like we're in the club and we know what seagull means and donut hole? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, it was probably to keep uh, old... Uh... I'm trying to think of a trucker term for a policeman, but I can't think of one. That uh, like overweight older policeman who's just uh, sitting on the side of the road waiting to pull someone over like in the last episode. Yeah, you got to throw him off the trail. <laughs> yeah. A smoky, a smoky. There we go. All smoky. I think that's a trucker term for a cop. I don't know. Sure. Why not? All right, Jordan, let's get into it. Uh, you, do you have a little segment for us? We've done this, I think, a few times before, and I'm going to give a slight little change to it and I'll explain why, but it's going to be guess the cast member. You'll notice that this actually has a pretty small recurring cast, like actually a lot of these shows uh, from this time period seem to. But I'll explain as we go. So we have four actors and then the showrunner of the show. And I wanted to put him in for a couple of reasons. One, because I want to mention something interesting about him after the game. And secondly, he also did a little bit of acting work. Oh. So I've thrown him in too. So we'll go through the, there's five people in this, and you have to guess the uh, movie. And I picked uh, movies that just interested me. Okay. So we have our star, which is Ben Murphy, and he plays Sam Casey. That's one of the choices you have. All right. We have Catherine Crawford, who plays uh, Dr. Abby Lawrence. Okay. Richard Dysart, who played Leonard Driscoll, but only in the pilot that we watched, because it's a different actor from now on. Right, they replace him. I have William Sylvester, who's the new Leonard Driscoll for the rest of the series. Okay. And then the showrunner, uh, writer, creator, producer, Harvey Bennett. Okay. 
All right, the first one I'm going to give you is a 1964 movie. You know it, I know it. Devil Doll. Devil Doll? Yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming it's about a possessed doll. Oh, I mean, we would check out with that title. I think that is going to be the showrunner. All right, our next one. We'll go through them and then I'll see how you did. Uh, The next one is a 1970 movie called A Walk in the Spring Rain. Isn't that nice? That is nice. I'm going to give that to the new Leonard Driscoll, the the replacement. Okay. Whatever his name was. Uh, That is uh, William Sylvester. All right. Our third one is a 1983 TV series, and I picked it for one specific reason, and it's called Lottery! And the reason I picked it was because I like when they put exclamation marks in titles. Ooh, I am going to give that to old Leonard Driscoll, the one they replaced. Okay. I've really hamstrung myself with who I've got left. <laughs> well, you can still change change it. I have a 1978 movie called First You Cry, which is my favorite title of all of these. I am going to give it to Abby, I think. Finally, we have a 1984 movie that you, I'm sure, have seen called Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Oh, Interesting. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to give that to Abby and switch the last one, The Crying in the Rain, to Sam. Okay, well, do you want to know how you did? Yes, I do. You scored, and there'll be a drum roll here. A zero to five. Oh, I didn't get it. (laughs) So I'll I'll go through them with you because I know everyone's very excited. Devil Doll, the 1964 movie, was actually star- not starring, but he was in. It was William Sylvester, who's our new Leonard Driscoll. Oh, uh, okay. Didn't know if he had a mustache or not in that, but our 1970 movie, A Walk in the Spring Rain, was Catherine Crawford. Okay. The 1983 TV series Lottery was Ben Murphy. Oh, really? Yeah, star of our show. And the 1978 movie, First You Cry was our first Leonard Driscoll, Richard Dysart, which leaves the Star Trek Three movie Search for Spock as Harv- Harvey Bennett. Really? And the reason I wanted to add him in, yeah, and there's something, sorry, it's Harv Bennett. I keep calling him Harvey Bennett, but it's Harv. Maybe Harvey's to his friend. And uh, something interesting about uh, Harvey, because I'm going to pull up this thing, he uh, was a writer-producer, and he did a lot of different things over the years. But most interestingly, he wrote Star Trek Two, Star Trek Three, Star Trek Four. And Star Trek V. Really? The showrunner of this wrote the Star Trek movies? Yeah, but not one and not six, but two, three, four, and five. That blows me away. I mean, I like those movies. Yeah. I don't like this show. (laughs) Well, he was a producer and wrote a lot of episodes of Six Million Dollar Band and Bionic Woman, which obviously you can see shades of in this show. He did a ton of different things that he produced, but one of the weird things is that he wrote and produced four of the Star Trek movies. I'm going to have to reevaluate how I'm viewing this show. Anyway, so you didn't do too well in that, but we've all learned something, so we're all winners. We're all winners now. All right, should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Here is the IMDb summary for episode one, Smithereens. That might be my favorite title of any episode we've ever done. Sam Casey is tasked in the transporting of a new fuel that is very unstable. Unbeknownst to him, Abby is in the back of the truck with the dangerous cargo. I have one note before we start. Mm-hmm. Luke, your new nickname is Triple Odin. Triple Odin? <laughs> yeah, because you're an unstable element. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're a wild card, you know? All right. Well, before we actually start the episode, how did you like finally seeing the opening title sequence for Gemini Man? 
What I liked about it was it's got something that you see, in, at least we've seen in a lot of these uh, shows from this time period, a real kind of jazzy, upbeat opening. It also, right after the opening credits, has that little trailer thing that tells you all about what you're going to see, which I thought was funny. Classic precap. Yeah, but more importantly, the opening is pretty much just the pilot summarized much quicker and much better. I, I like when uh, text shows up on the screen and it says, Casey's status, invisible. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a better title, status invisible. Oh, that is good. Someone call Harv, uh, Harv Bennett, I'm assuming in hell, and, uh, <laughs> and, letting him know, <laughs> and letting him know we have a better title for him. Uh, I don't know why that makes me laugh so much, but... I've just summed up this entire man's life and I've put him directly in hell. (laughs) I also liked in that opening titles, they keep showing the digital watch and the text on screen keeps saying, like flashing, never exceed, never exceed. You know what's funny? When I saw that, I thought, this is going to irritate Luke because he's sure it can exceed. I'm sure. I I know it can exceed. (laughs) (laughs) This particular episode sort of opens up in the uh, parking lot of Intersect with Dr. Arthur Hale, who, uh, I don't know, what did you think he looked like? There wasn't anything that signified interesting of him to me. I don't remember what he looked like. I thought he looked like current day Chevy Chase. <laughs> I'd have to go back and watch it again. I'm going to assume you're right, though. He is. Uh, he's, a, he's assaulted in the parking lot by a couple of guys with a gun who are trying to steal his briefcase. You know what? I do remember, and you are correct. He did, he did look like modern day Chevy Chase. <laughs> I don't know why. As soon as I saw him, I was like... Hey, that's old Chevy Chase. As soon as now I saw it, because what what you get is is two guys mugging this guy. And of course, it's a great scene for Sam to come and rescue the guys. And he does it cheating by being invisible. And that's how he beats the guys up. Yeah, uh, as always. But he has one of my favorite lines right after the fight. So he he fights the guys off. They kind of run away. And uh, the guy gets up and he's like, thanks for your help. And Sam says to him, you got any ideas who those turkeys are? (laughs) Sam's got a lot of one-liners. I love referring to someone as turkeys. Just, it's turkeys. Everyone still says it. The kids? You should bring it back, Jordan. I, oh, I can do it. No problem. Who are these turkeys over here? <laughs> They'll love it. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Hale has created, as you mentioned before, triplodyne. Uh, what is triplodyne, Jordan? It's a new fuel additive. And I, what I wrote down was, and correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, I wrote down that it triples vehicular mileage. That's correct. Do you think triplodyne is made out of triffids? Oh, you know what? I didn't even put that connection together. You're much more clever than I am. Uh, I, yes, I'm 100% behind that. That is the kickoff to the whole Triffids thing. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I didn't even put those two together. But yes, that that must be canon. And do you know how many miles per gallon that triplodyne will get you? Oh, no, I didn't write that down. 70. <laughs> That's a lot. Is it a lot? I wasn't sure. I don't know. We don't use gallons here. I don't know. <laughs> um, and... Uh, he got attacked because uh, this this new revelation he's gonna he's created in gas technology, fuel technology. It's gonna piss off people like foreign oil who want to keep America dependent on their product. This really feels of its time, doesn't it? It really it does in many ways. Although it's very funny, even in twenty twenty, we're still kind of you hear about dependency on foreign oil. Like this is like we're just dependent on oil, you guys. Yeah, you don't need to say foreign. This, of course, leads us to meet our new Leonard Driscoll. Yeah. He's uh, still got a mustache. That's right. And this is a spoiler. The next episode, he doesn't have a mustache. You know what? I didn't even register that, but you're right. So sometimes he has a mustache, sometimes he doesn't, and sometimes he's a completely different human. 
Maybe they thought that was the easiest way to transition between between the two actors. They'll be like, grow a mustache. People won't be sure it's you or not. And the next episode, you shave it off and the transition will be seamless. It took me a minute to realize it was a different person, which I should have realized right away. But I was like, Leonard seems different. If I hadn't checked IMDb, I wouldn't have known. For me, the biggest tell that it was a different actor was the portrayal of Leonard is different in this. Remember I mentioned in the last episode, he was sort of like, it was a jokey thing and he was always laughing about stuff and how could you believe these these uh, antics we're getting to? This Leonard doesn't think anything is funny. He looks like he's about one major disaster away from a heart attack. I mean, you're not wrong, but I, I will. There's a moment in this episode where he laughs that I'm going to talk about later. Oh, okay. But basically, Leonard gives Sam a mission uh, they need him to get this triplodyne to the Federal Energy Agency. And to do that, they're going to deploy a decoy with a military escort to uh, to throw off their foreign oil enemies. But Sam will drive Dr. Hale and the triplodyne in a separate semi-truck to uh, kind of keep, go under the radar. Yeah, and that's the setup of this episode, which is basically, it's the 70s. We're going to get a, an exciting, action-packed driving episode. But I don't know if I understood why this organization wanted Sam to do it. And I'm assuming it's that um, uh, Leonard is the person who always is going to be sending on the missions. Don't you think he'd only want to save him for missions that needed invisibility? I mean, I'm going to bring this up right now. This episode uses invisibility, not just sparingly, but this episode didn't need invisibility. I agree with you. They've given up on even wanting to use invisibility already. (laughs) I didn't hate this episode by any means. However... It's not an episode of Gemini, man. It's just a episode where a cool guy drives a truck around and has to solve problems. And then at the very end, they're like, oh, yeah, he's invisible for three seconds. But it's like they don't use the invisibility at all. And I feel like the writers already are showing issues that they don't want to use this feature that they've decided on. No, it's this is technically episode one. This is like after the TV movie. This is their first episode. And the scenes where he does use invisibility ever so fleetingly. It feels like they just had to put it in. He could have done all the same things without invisibility, almost. I agree. Wild. What a wild thing is going on. I know. Can you imagine being like a kid excited? It's uh, the new show, Gemini Man. The guy goes invisible, and then you sit down for this, which is seemingly the first episode, because probably most people didn't see the pilot, you know, four or five months before. And you sit down, and you're like, it's a guy driving around a truck with no sleeves. Use that invisibility already, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but he won't. He just won't do it. I want to go back real quick to his mission to get this uh, triplodyne to the, uh, the, the what is it called, Federal Energy Agency. Mm-hmm. Leonard sets a real time limit for him. He's just like, you have to get there before it closes at 6 p.m. And I'm just like, they won't stay open five minutes later to get the ever so important new energy saving thing that's going to save America's oil supply. You have to get there for six or they go home. It's the stakes, Luke. You need the viewers to be like, is he going to get there for six or not? It was just the funniest thing to be like, you got to be there at 6 p.m. Because they close at 6 p.m. And I'm like, what? Who knows? Maybe they're very strict. He's not trying to get to the department store. So what we get is the setup, as you mentioned, is Sam is driving a truck. Doctor, what's his name? Uh, Dr. Dr. Hale. Dr. Hale is in the back. And something similar to the pilot episode, if anyone remembers, when they went in an airplane, the guy, Royce, he had this very fancy desk set up in the back of uh, the plane. And a very similar, he's got a big, like, fancy desk set in the back. And I'm like, man, the 70s, people just, they brought, like, big mahogany desks with them wherever they went. Well, not as only does he have an office set up in the back of the semi-trailer, the office is situated inside of a safe 
a giant room-sized safe that has also been placed in the back of the semi-trailer. That's right. How do you think they got that in there? I actually just assumed they built it in there. And that would make more sense. But yes, you're right. I forgot to mention that. It's a big safe, and it's got one of those classic um, sort of like spin wheel. Like a bank vault. Yeah, exactly. So funny. I, I know. I noticed that too. I'm like, what is going on here? And this is, and I'll bring this up now here, is as they're getting ready to go, and they're showing up the safe and how it's all going to work, Sam turns to Leonard, and Dr. Helney says, only one problem. I haven't got my union card. And Dr. Hale and Leonard <laughs> right. give the fakest laughs I have ever seen. The both of them, they're, it looks like they're struggling to remember how a human laughs at this joke. Well, it's a bad joke, too. I know. I, I, are they, they're humoring him, right? They're humoring Sam. He's that, like, handsome guy who makes jokes that aren't that funny, but people laugh because he's attractive. And he's just so, they're just having to go through the motions. I, I want to pull the clip because I feel like as he says the joke... It looks like Dr. Hale looks over at Leonard as if to, like, key what he's supposed to do. And Leonard laughs first. So Dr. Hale, like, kind of is like, okay, I guess we're <laughs> laughing. I went back and watched it a couple of times because I'm like, this is the funniest, fakest thing I've ever seen. All right. But let, let's keep going. The mission's underway. They've, they've loaded up uh, at Dr. Hale's lab everything they need into the semi-truck. Sam will have a, a briefcase phone in the cab of the car to call back to uh, to call to Leonard as they drive around. And did you catch Leonard's uh, code name? No. What was it? Every time they're driving around, Sam calls him. He's like, uh, affirmative, big daddy. <laughs> That's right. And now, are we going to ruin it? Uh, what's his face gets one, too? Uh, Sam gets one. What is it later on? Oh, I forget, actually. Oh, I hope I wrote it down. Well, well maybe it'll be in your notes when we get to that truck driver. <laughs> But uh, there's also like a walkie-talkie so that Sam can talk to Dr. Hale in the back. And as they're kind of loading up and getting ready to go, Dr. Hale remembers that he forgot one piece of equipment at his other lab on the, I don't know, other side of town. Sam's like, no big deal. We're, we're ahead. If we leave now, we'll still be on schedule to make it for six o'clock because that's important. So like, let's do that. So they take off right away. What we see then is Leonard. He's, he's calling on a radio to the, uh, he's like on a radio talking to the decoy convoy, which is just like, heavily armed militarized convoy that's heading out and while he's talking to this to this convoy on what i assume is a secure radio channel abby cuts into the line <laughs> yeah yeah she's just like hey uh sam uh sam didn't i didn't sync watches he was too busy uh getting it on with uh blonde in the commissary uh the, the reason they have to have abby get in because it becomes a little plot point which is she wants to meet him later at a stop along the way. I believe it's at the uh, doctor's other lab. Well, I think she's she's trying to get to the lab before they leave. Like she does, they left early, so she doesn't know they've left yet. Right. And but she wants to get there so that they can get there. They'll sync watches. He can get what he has to get, and they get off. But I I mean I know this is now officially the first episode. Do you think this is gonna become a thing all the time where she always has to sync watches with him? I don't know. It was a weird thing because they had to sync watches because she said she said his watch was a minute wrong. Hmm on his invisibility but later leonard will look at his watch and be like no mine matches yours sam so leonard also now has a watch but what's weird about that is correct me if i'm wrong luke that doesn't become anything at all the rest of the episode they're like oh it's a minute off and they're like oh ours is together and i thought oh they're seeding something for later that's gonna have to do with abby's watch it's like no no it's just a line never comes up it is it is really an excuse to get abby into the episode <laughs> Yeah, and it's such a weird line to throw out there and, and just like, yeah, just a non-reason. Uh, anyway, Abby goes to the lab that they've just left and uh, she's kind of looking around. She can't quite, she's like, oh, where where are they? She goes inside the lab. 
she finds the lab is full of open gas cans and a lit candle. Yeah, so and I, it's a great scene because they do that classic like real quick push in with the camera. She's like, oh, gasoline. She runs over and blows the candle out and 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 then sort of has. I believe she's talking out loud. It might be like an internal monologue they've done, but I think she's talking out loud and being like, that's weird. Gasoline left. Then she's like, a ledger. That's weird. $10 million. Huh? But what you get to see is there's something funny happening that there's some sort of illegal money being transferred, $10 million that has to do with this tripolidine. Um, I've got what's happened in that logbook, actually, in, in the in the ledger she finds. All right, let's go, go Open for it. next to the candle, which is insane. Uh, what has happened is Dr. Hale has received $10 million in intersect funding to work on triplodyne that he hasn't spent yet on research. So he just has like $10 million laying around in a bank account somewhere, according to his ledger. And she's like, that seems funny. She's like, well, that's an odd thing to find. So she goes into an office in the warehouse, picks up a uh, random piece of paper that happens to have a random phone number written on it. She picks up the nearest phone and just calls that phone number. And it's Swiss Airlines. Then she bumps some of the, I think it's the tripolidine. It spills onto the ledger, whatever the papers is, until she wipes it up with a tissue, tosses the tissue into the garbage, and it explodes and blows up the whole office. Yeah, she gets blown out of the office. It was a big explosion, actually. <laughs> um, but yes, she's basically figured out now with, with these three elements, that ledger, that phone number, and that exploding triplodine. With these clues, she deduces, A, triplodine is a scam. B, its molecular structure breaks down and becomes more powerful than nitroglycerin. C, Sam will die if he hits a bump in that semi-truck. It was funny because they set up everything you needed in this scene. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit clumsily done. But I wasn't sure if it didn't seem very to come across very well. And I didn't know if it was because it's just the time period or if it just wasn't very well written or I just wasn't paying attention. I think it was just it was pretty awkwardly done. It's like she walks in, basically pieces together the entire mystery of the episode because they need to get that information out. And then she goes to call Leonard and two goons walk in and like say, hey, you're not calling anybody. You're coming with us. Yeah. And then that's it. Like she's just kidnapped. We go to Sam and the doctor at the lab making uh, he goes and I think he says something to Sam like, oh, what I needed is not there. And they're like, all right, let's get on our way. And they travel. But what you see is, or we learn to find very quickly, is the doctor has gotten off the truck and they've replaced her with Abby, excuse me, have replaced him with Abby in the safe. My understanding is they are going to another lab of his to pick up a piece of equipment. Yeah. What you see is people carrying two big laundry bags. They walk onto the truck with the laundry bags as Sam's like signing for the delivery of the laundry. One of the guys gets off and says, oh, Dr. Hale said this bag wasn't his, so I'm going to put it back. And they're like, okay, sign here, Sam. And they walk away. And I guess the idea is Abby's in one laundry bag. Bring her on. Dr. Hale gets into one of the other laundry bags, gets carried off. But I'm just like, it looked like he was picking up his laundry, not picking up lab equipment. So the originally the plan would have then just been for the the doctor just to get off and they've and they've like ad-libbed the situation and said all right let's just go with it we'll put abby in the in the safe but i don't know if that makes a lot of sense for what their their plan is why not just kill her yeah exactly because that's what the thing is they're like we'll put her on the truck and they'll both die together it's like well why not just kill her now sure when they investigate the exploded truck won't they find her body (laughs) regardless of that that's the plan Although I guess they're betting that they won't investigate because they wouldn't find Dr. Hale's body because he got off. 
Why not? Anyways, the point is, you've now got our two stars of the show. They're both in this truck with a very unstable liquid that could blow up at any moment. In a, in a what, what would you call that? A water cooler jug? Yeah, <laughs> it's it actually looks a little bit more like um, you know, when you see people like blowing on jugs, like in a like in a jug band. That's what it looks like. That's that's very that's a very good description. So now Sam's still on his mission. He's still driving down the highway, and so Doctor Hale and his goons can like keep track of Sam, and I guess like continue to tr- make sure he explodes. They start flying along beside the semi truck in a helicopter, but very visibly, like they're almost directly above him at all times i mean he spots it almost immediately but he doesn't really think anything of it several times during the episode and before this this switch has happened he can get on his phone and he calls back to the doctor and the doctor's always responding with things like almost every single time he met she's like sam i'm working on these ledgers don't bother me like sam i told you not to call me i'm working on my ledgers and sam's like oh sorry but he's filling out patent forms <laughs> And patent forms, yeah. But what we what we see is somehow when he uh, Sam now calls back to the doctor, Abby can still hear it in the back, but she can't respond. But the doctor in the helicopter can respond, so Sam still thinks he's back there. Now, okay, first, if you were filling up paperwork in the back of a truck, you'd just be squiggling everywhere. There would be you couldn't write. It's impossible. I get very car sick, so it would be a terrible idea for me. B, what Sam is talking to the doctor in the back of the truck on is just like a corded radio. It's just like a radio that you'd push down. It's just like two-way. It just runs along a cord. He disconnects that, gets into a helicopter, and now it is wirelessly transmitting? Yeah. Like, I just, exactly none right. of this technology makes any sense. It is funny that they've, they've set up all these little pieces and, you know, juggling all these balls, but none of it really makes that much sense. It's like, but you guys decided all these things. Also, does Sam not hear the helicopter noise from the helicopter he's sitting in? Yeah, he, he doesn't hear that. Not not till later when he needs to. Anyway, uh, Abby at some point will like come to get out of her bag in the back of the truck and she'll spend most of the episode making a sling to suspend the triplodyne in the back of the truck so it doesn't explode. She has nothing to do this episode. I, I was going to ask you, what would you do in that situation? Because I actually thought that was pretty clever. I don't think I would have come up with a sling. I would have just kept holding it, thinking, like, cradling it like a baby, trying to use my own body as, you know, as a shock protector. Oh, no, her sling is a good idea, for sure. But she just gets so little. Look, like, we just keep being cuts back to her of her building this sling. You would have just drank it, right? Yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> Plus, you'd have, uh, what, three times the fuel efficiency? You, you Well, no, you'd be, th- you'd be three times faster. That's why they call me Triplodyne, Jordan. <laughs> that is why they call you that. Because I'm an unstable element? <laughs> <You're> gonna... <laughs> it doesn't work at all. It, it works just as well as this episode's plot. <laughs> um, but uh, Sam, for his part, will spend his time driving along, talking on the CB radio to a singing trucker. What does that singing trucker go by, Jordan? Oh, I don't know. I have it written down somewhere. I can't find it. What's his name? His name is buffalo bill that's right that's right yeah notorious serial killer from signs of the lambs <laughs> buffalo bill well also also a famous cowboy but yes i felt like this man killed people by 1991 it did not age well oh my god that guy sings a whole song into the cb radio and sam sits there enjoying it yeah you know he loves it he doesn't enjoy it he's like he's like one more time and and i thought there's no way these what these radios are supposed to be used for. You're not supposed to sing entire renditions of some show tune. It was insane. Him and this trucker, I was like, what is what is happening here? 
at first I thought, is this just to show you what like trucking life is? But you get a couple things that one, you get a sense. I think this guy's gonna be a character and he's going to come back. And more importantly, he throws, he throws this odd little line in about like, Hey, watch it while you're driving. There's like road bandits around or something like that. So just be careful. And Sam's like, yeah, 10-4, skippy dippy. I'll be on the slide and bing bong, whatever they say. Well, I mean, that's basically what happens is Buffalo Bill gets hijacked. Yeah, like five minutes later, he gets hijacked by these people he just told Sam to watch out for. Yeah, and then Sam has to pull over and save him with invisibility, to be fair. This is where he uses it. He has to save these truckers from the, this trucker from these hijackers. How he solves him from invisibility, it's only used for about five seconds. And what it is, is the guys are beating up on uh, old Buffalo Bill and Sam goes invisible and then picks up a gun. And the guy's like, I can't believe that gun's floating. And then he punches the guy, then is back to visibility. And then they just tag team punch everyone. And then he's like, well, seems like you got this under control. See you later, cowboy. Um, but yes, eventually Leonard, or sorry, Sam finally clues into this helicopter that has been following him for, I would argue, hours now, is a little suspicious. But you did hear that the doctor said at one point that tripolidine, it takes three hours for it to break down and become unstable. So the implication at this point is he's be driving for about three hours. So now yes. we're into the, the danger zone. Yeah, and the helicopter's following him. He, he calls it into Leonard finally. And uh, Leonard kind of, I guess, calls up his, his people in the government and they look into it and Apparently, it's a rental copter that was rented by a friend of Dr. Hale's who uh, who they became friends when uh, this this goon saved Dr. Hale from a from an arson site at a lab he used to work at. Is that what he said? Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, that's uh, his friend up there driving the helicopter. It looks like on this piece of paper I found here. They met when uh, uh, his lab was destroyed in an arson fire that was very suspicious, but was not his fault or this goon's fault. <laughs> Sure. Sure, it all checks out. Well, after they, and after they learn that, both Leonard and Sam decide, well, it makes sense. Dr. Hale probably just wants extra protection, so he called his friend. Of all the options of why there's this sketchy person flying this helicopter and following, they're like, must be good reason. It's got, it's got to be. It's probably just a precaution. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I almost missed this. Do you know where they got all that information about Dr. Hale and his uh, friend who flies a helicopter? Is that where they got it from the RCMP? Yeah, in Toronto. <laughs> yeah little shout out for us yeah I, I thought the same thing I'm like hey rcmp then i was like oh what a typical canadian i am I- excited at any sad little mention of canada pathetic well, it was just very funny too because it wasn't even like they were talking about him being from canada or being any like it just seemed to be random like they're just decided that's what what the person was going to be from it's it's the writer at that <laughs> that day had just found out that our federal police are called the rcmp so he's like oh i'll stick that in so they still not suspicious this helicopter uh, and Dr. Hale's like, man, oh, man, when's this truck going to explode already? It's not happening. It should have happened by now. So he, he calls down from the helicopter to Sam and says, hey, uh, Sam, it's getting a little bumpy back here. Would you uh, pull over to the next uh, gas station and uh, check those shocks? What we find here, and I, I have to ask you a question, Luke. So the point of this is he sent him over to a mechanic. That's clearly an evil mechanic who we find checks over the car but while he's checking over the truck he cuts the brakes yes and so it's like oh and, and you get a good shot of the mechanic just looking really evil and i enjoyed that but did the doctor set this up ahead of time like he knew okay if he gets three hours and it hasn't happened i've got a buddy who's also a mechanic and i'll get him out on the plan or do you think they just started calling around to different places like can you cut brakes no you guys don't do that all right i'll, I'll call midas you guys want to cut brakes 
I mean, there's because we've seen other goons. We've seen the people at that other lab loading stuff in. There's so many people involved in this plan. I know it's $10 million, but how many ways are you splitting it? And how many people do you have to keep quiet about? It? Like these this, these kind of plans where it's just like, we're going to steal this money, but there's like 75 people involved. I'm just like, they don't make sense to me. I'm like, you're going to get caught. There's too many people. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the person is going to ratchet at this mechanic. He doesn't look trustworthy at all. And I mean, how much is he getting paid? <laughs> He's getting like 100 bucks, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So... Well, so Sam leaves this gas station and while he's traveling down a steep hill, Sam gets to thinking. He gets to thinking about that arson style fire that uh, Leonard mentioned about and how that is kind of suspicious. He's just like, I wonder, I wonder if Dr. Hale's up to something. So he, he radios Dr. Hale and he apologizes to him for a bump in the road that he never really hit. So that Dr. Hale's like, he falls for it and just like, well, I felt that bump for sure that you told me you hit. I, I'm definitely in the back of the car. Yeah, and he's like, wait a minute. That seems sketchy. But unfortunately for Sam, he's on a steep hill, and he's now out of control with no brakes on hairpin turns. Yeah, that was the most important point. It was hairpin turns, which, Luke, I don't need to tell you. Those are the worst turns to do. Well, Jordan, nobody's ever survived doing them over four, 30 miles per hour. <laughs> I know. I know. So, there's no way. There's no way he's going to be able to do it. If, if Abby was here, you know what percentage she'd give him of, of surviving? Zero. <laughs> he, at some point, he says he's going 67 miles per hour. That's much faster. But thankfully, he's made a friend on these lonely roads. Yeah, it's old Buffalo Bill. He's still driving. And so what you get now is more. you get a lot of shots in this episode of two people talking on on their trucks. And I actually thought this plan was pretty good. I, I don't know if I would have thought of this. but So they're talking, and he basically tells old Buffalo Bill... Look, I'm going down this hill, and I don't know if you know, but there's hairpin turns here, which are the worst kind of turns. And Buffalo Bill tells him the whole thing, how dangerous this is. And if you can get through all these turns and get to the part where it's a little bit um, like an even slope, we can start doing the exact same speed, and you can bump into the back of my truck. I can start using my brakes, and we'll slow both trucks down. Which, actually, to be fair, is a pretty cool sequence. I don't know if it's that cool in this show, but I don't know if I've seen that that in a movie before and in terms of like an action car chase kind of kind of show i that's a pretty cool idea it's a cool yeah it's definitely a cool idea you're right though it's not like the most excitingly executed on this particular no. episode but no because they're on a tv budget and so you, it's more like close-ups of sam like looking frustrated turning the wheel as opposed to the the like really cool wide shots of what the trucks are doing yeah but yeah, that's essentially what happens. Buffalo Bill manages to slow him down and, and stops his truck uh, in a small town. And then Buffalo Bill sort of like takes his leave, says, uh, see you later, cowboy. Yeah, well, no, what, I, what he actually says, he's like, we're even now. Because earlier on, he's like, hey, remember you b- beat up those goons later? I owe you. Because that's the rules of the road. If you owe someone, you have to slow down your truck to let them, you know, be able to stop when they don't have brakes. You have to pay them back. Sam, obviously, is suspicious of Dr. Hale. So now that he stopped, he calls Dr. Hale on the radio and says, um... Hey, I just got to get out and uh, fix these brakes that broke. I hope that's okay. And Dr. Hale's now getting a little suspicious that maybe Sam doesn't believe he's in the back of this drug. Yeah. Sam then steals an acetylene torch from a local garage. But, by our count, uses invisibility for the second time. Again, no reason to use the invisibility. The guy's not there when he steals it. The, the only reason to show that he's invisible is the guy comes back later and is like, Hey, where's my blowtorch? But like he could have just stole it without being invisible. 
No one was watching him. He could have taken it. Yeah. Uh, he he cuts into the safe. I guess substantially to find out if Doctor Hale's back there. Like he's still suspicious. He might be back there. Well, there's a couple funny things about it because I don't know if you could really use a blowtorch in this manner. I mean, yeah, yes, you could use a blowtorch to cut through metal, but the he cuts like a human-sized door. It would have taken so long to cut through what is conceivably a very thick, secure safe. So he cuts a door size to cut out. And also, what if the doctor was back there? How's he going to explain that? He's like, oh, yeah, uh, remember when you said you were back there and I didn't believe you? Well, I cut a, I cut a door in the safe and ruin the mission i mean it is funny because the actual execution of the show is it is it is a very thin metal that we clearly get to see yes to the point where you're like oh you probably could have kicked that down well that is what he does he uh he like cuts the door and then he just like like very gently pushes it open it it doesn't look great from the side because you can see how thin it is but i i think in the show world it's supposed to be a very thick secure metal but he does find uh abby back there and they're like oh it's all a terrible trick what's what's gonna happen and about this time, Dr. Hale's up in that helicopter and he's just like, I can't wait anymore. We got to do something about this truck. It's not exploding. His solution is something he probably should have just done from the beginning, which is he pulls out like a machine gun and just starts like shooting the truck to hell. Yeah, he's like, I'll try to hit the gas tank from the helicopter. <laughs> but he's like, I don't know if it's supposed to do that. He's just not a very good shot, but he shoots like 8,000 times at the truck. Uh, it's very funny. So basically, Sam gets Abby off the truck and says, you stay here and stay out of the show from the rest of the episode. Is that okay? I'm <laughs> yeah. going to drive this truck away. Yeah. And he, so he drives away. He still doesn't have brakes, by the way. No, no brakes still. But he got, he's got to save that town from exploding. Yeah. So he drives the truck away and the guys are still shooting at him. And the doctor keeps, I think it's the, the actually the helicopter uh, driver is like, is he still there? Is he still there? And then uh, Sam he, like, pulls into a big field. Yeah. And uses invisibility so they can't see him anymore, and they think he's ducked down. That's what they what they think, right? This part was so poorly shot that it was hard to tell. But like, there is a question of like, is he still in the truck? Is he has he gotten out? I think the d- pilot says, "Isn't the passenger side door open?" And they're like, "Yeah, but I didn't see him jump out." Like, they don't know. Like, they can't figure it out. And it's so poorly shot. You, the audience member, can't even tell if he went invisible or whether he also just jumped out of the truck. Yeah, it, it was weird. They didn't actually show him go invisible. They just kept cutting back and forth. But the what we know is that Sam has jumped out of the truck. They do shoot it and do blow it up. And the doctor's like, well, I guess I've won everything. Well, the doctor's not so sure. He's like, land this helicopter. I got to make sure Sam is dead. Yeah, which is a fatal mistake for a villain. And of course, when they land and look around, when they start looking around the truck to see if he's dead, Sam takes them out with his invisibility and uh, like punches out the pilot and then grabs the doctor and says, sorry, doctor, bad guys finish last. Yeah, that's the actual line. That's is that the, the actual, actual line? line? Yeah. And then really quickly, Driscoll and Abby show up and the cops show up and and the uh, the doctor gets taken away. And I like that he gets to have one of those like and to Scooby-Doo-esque things. He's like, I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling intersect guys. And they take him away and he's ranting about invisibilities that are like, he's crazy, am I right? I like that uh, when Leonard shows up, he's he's really annoyed and he's just like, what are we going to do? How am I going to explain to the accountants that we lost $10 million? Oh yeah, and then Sam's like, just say it's my expenses. <laughs> but here's my question. They didn't lose $10 million. He's still He never spent it. They stopped him. Yeah. It was weird. Also, uh, what I liked about that scene, too, is because, you know, first time we see Leonard out of the office, it's so windy in that open field. 
his comb over is just flapping everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Poor guy. I was just like, you guys, this is comb over. It's just like <laughs> going crazy. He's so bald at that point. I'm like, oh no. But the day is saved. That's the important thing. I mean, the day, I guess that's the important thing. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's go to the next episode. Which also has another great title, Minotaur. And let me, before we get into it, you were desperate that there was either going to be a Minotaur or a Maze, right? I was desperate for neither. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, what was the, let's tell us what the synopsis is. All right. Here's the summary for the episode two. It was officially labeled the A-73, designed to be a purely defensive surveillance system. Right, who's Carl Victor? He was the man in charge of Intersex Bureau of Technological Development. I fired him five days ago. Why? For a $40 million cost override. For secretly transferring the A-73 into an offensive weapon, but one so uncontrollable that even the Pentagon wanted it scrubbed. He boasted it was the ultimate weapon, but we feared it was a doomsday machine. Well, morning after I fired him, he and the A-73 disappeared. Disappeared? Leonard, it sounds like you better find this thing fast. A disgruntled ex-employee of Intersect has built the ultimate robot, one capable of leveling a building with a single blast from one of its laser gun arms. And if the government doesn't give in to his million-dollar demands, he will proceed to unleash destruction on various buildings. Yeah, I guess that's that's about right. It's close enough anyway. So where does this episode start, Jordan? <laughs> we start with uh, a great, great scene. It's like a it's like a fuzzy pull focus into a bottle of champagne and a guy taking a bottle of champagne out of the one of those um what would you call it like a container ice with ice in it ice bucket <laughs> that's just an ice bucket yeah th- what do you call those things those uh those uh, things you put ice in ice bucket and he's and he's having a seemingly a sexy date with a sexy lady and the implication you get is that they've been trying to have a date for a long time but his work has prevented them from having a good time and she seems a little bit irritated at, at his life she says he's been promising her this date for months that's a long time <laughs> but he has he's made up with it with not only champagne but champagne in an ice bucket yeah that's true unfortunately though he gets a call on her phone his phone whose apartment is this it's her apartment and that i think that's again it's not really executed very well but i think the implication is supposed to be that they know where he is at all times and, and that's why it's so alarming to her she's like she answers the phone and she's like it's for you that's weird but he's just like yeah sorry baby that's the way it is when you're an invisible man on the phone is dr carl victor and dr carl victor is threatening leonard's life and his career mm-hmm. i need to meet uh, meet you at the industrial square and he's like huh that's weird i also like that after we get to know this who this character is this bad guy he actually has nothing he's like not trying to kill leonard like i like i don't know why he said he was going to (laughs) that's funny it's almost as if they wrote it and then forgot what had happened by the end anyway he uses his invisibility power to escape from his date (laughs) yeah he's already used it in this episode almost more than he did in the previous episode what he says is look this is important i gotta go deal with work she's like no you're not leaving the apartment so he goes invisible to fool her so he can get her to the apartment. I'm like, wow, what a use of those powers. I mean, she does lock the door on him, I guess. I suppose. But it's because she'd been waiting months. I need this date with this hunky, hunky man. Yeah, with his, with his long, curly 70s hair. 
He goes to, uh, what did you call it? Industrial Square? Yeah, Industrial Square. And who should arrive but a robot like a big garbage can on wheels with arms? <laughs> it is. It's one of the worst looking robots you could possibly put, as at least as a showpiece, like as the uh, the element of destruction of this episode, the obstacle he must face. It's this super slow-moving, immobile, clumsy, non-threatening looking robot that can barely do anything. It looks like something from uh, from Cork. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it should be in a 50s cereal or something. Yeah, it doesn't look good. And, and it, when, I, when they first showed it, I actually thought, I was like, oh, please don't be the major robot of this. Because it just, it takes you out of the uh, already kind of silly world. I'm like, this thing just does not look good. It is. It, it, I did laugh when I saw it. And I was like, well, at least there's a robot. And what a robot. The robot sort of says, hey, I'm here to give you a, a very cool demonstration. Uh, please stand by. And he proceeds to lift his arm and shoot a laser at a building and blow up the entire building. Yeah, it was two shots. But what I like, though, is that Dr. Victor, who's uh, speaking through the robot to Sam, he makes sure to mention to him that's uh, an abandoned building. I like that they had to put that in because they didn't want the viewers to think they were people just like, you know, working late. Um, after he blows up the building, did you like that? Uh, I have not I haven't seen this that I can recall, but maybe I have in a movie or something. But he uh, Sam runs up to a firebox in the road and like breaks it open and turns a turns a key inside of it and like calls the fire department. Do you think that used to be a thing or was that just a quick, quick way of having uh, like a little safety concern uh, answered in the episode? Because I was like, I don't think I've ever seen one of those before. I feel like those did exist. I think they might have even been slightly uh, archaic for 1978 even like they were like probably when you didn't have access to pay phones to like call for help. Like, this is how you call the fire department. And, you know, things are more flammable, et cetera, et cetera. Either way, he does what I think you're supposed to do, which is call the fire department. And then he gets out of there. He gets out of there. He's lost the robot. So he heads to intersect and uh, Leonard fills us in on what's going on. Um, and did you like their big conference room with a giant uh, map of the world table? <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I think they stole it from some some uh, uh, evil villain. It did, it did look very evil villain-esque or something. Did we ever mention, by the way, what the name of the robot is? Because it's coming up in this scene, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, that's, what's, that's what we're talking about here is, is Dr. Dr. Carl Victor, who created this uh, defensive security robot called the Minotaur. And I think its code name is A73. A73. Uh, well, Dr. Carl Victor was also in charge of Intersect's Internal Bureau of Technological Development. That is, up, to, up until five days ago. He got fired for being a little crazy. Well, officially, he was fired for $40 million of cost overrides. Well, you know what? One thing we learned about Driscoll's, he just lost $10 million, apparently. So he shouldn't be too worried about $40 million. Well, another 40 can't take that. But you're right. Unofficially, he fired uh, Dr. Victor for turning the Minotaur into an offensive weapon instead of a defensive weapon. One that was so dangerous, even the Pentagon wanted it scrubbed. <laughs> Question for you. What is the difference between a defensive robot and an offensive robot? Because seemingly they both have those laser guns that can blow buildings up. But what, one does it from a crouch position? I can tell you what the difference is. What is it? Uh, it's which side you switch the toggle to. <laughs> so he just, no matter what they did, every night he kept switching it to offensive. They're like, didn't I tell you? And has to come and switch it back. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. 
they kept mentioning it so that you knew they were the good guys. They're like, but it was defensive. It was only supposed to be defensive. Defensive. I'm like, but that doesn't mean anything. If it had all the same capabilities and had the same hardware and the same ammunition on it, who cares if it's defensive? I know. It is funny. It's a real way of being like, we're the good guys, not the bad guys. It's like, but you built a super weapon. You you have to sort of suspend your disbelief in this show. Not only that a guy can turn invisible, but that this really clunky, sad-looking robot not only is that effective that it can essentially take down the world it's so impressive but also that it's worth 40 million dollars because it looks like it's worth about four dollars that's true you also need to suspend your disbelief that a uh, private security firm is the good guys (laughs) that's true as well and but what happens here while they're having a conversation Dr. Victor has disappeared with the Minotaur after he was fired, and uh, they don't know where he's gone. But as they're talking, a courier arrives with a video cassette. What I love, though, is the courier has a really good line. Did you did you catch what he said? I'm not sure. What did he say? He comes and goes, oh, hey, Dr. Leonard, I didn't know you were here. This came earlier this morning, and it was marked urgent, but I didn't know you were here, so I couldn't deliver it to you right away. So I'm giving it to you now. Here you go. And then he leaves. And I thought, why would they have put that in why could he have just come and said this just came in urgently it's like someone said it's too coincidental they'd be talking about it the video would come right now so why don't we we have the guy at the front desk get it and ask around and go oh leonard's not in okay i'll just hold it for a while it's like it was such a weird chunk of dialogue that they had this one guy do but anyways the important thing is the video has arrived that is very funny (laughs) Um, the video basically are demands uh, from Dr. Victor. He essentially wants Leonard to call off the manhunt for him. He wants Leonard to talk to the Secretary of Defense to give him half a billion dollars in cash. Think about that, Jordan. In cash. What's the biggest denomination? Let's say it's $100. I'm, I'm sure they have larger denominations that are not in normal currency or n- normal circulation, excuse me. But like, how many bills would that be? Would that fill an entire room? Easy, right? Easy, easy. There's no way you could give someone half a billion dollars in cash. It's impossible. But anyways, he's crazy. So who knows what he wants? But you're right. They got 12 hours or he's going to level a busy skyscraper. That's right. So basically, Leonard gets on the phone. He starts calling his people. He's like, double their search efforts. Get people out there. Let's get going. And uh, Sam's been sort of standing in the corner of the room the whole time. And he kind of interrupts Leonard on the phone. He's just like, uh, hey, uh, Leonard, um... Is it, is it cool if I, like, follow up on a hunch? And Leonard, like, takes the phone off his ear and he's like, what? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> but again, what I like about this, though, is Sam has the ability to go invisible. Now, I'm not saying you would want to use him on every mission, but he sort of is treated like a pest. Like, oh, yeah, there's this guy. It's like, you guys should, he should be getting tested at all times to see if they can make a super whole troop full of invisible people and stuff. But it's sort of like, yeah, it's just a cool, casual guy. Yeah, go do what you want. It's true. Why aren't they using him for more research? Let me see if if I get this. Uh, you probably got this, the chain of events here next. He looks at the the delivery uh, slip and sees there's handwriting on it. Yes. He wants to track down who actually signed for the, uh, who sent the delivery because he thinks then he'll be able to track down uh, Victor. Yes. Now, what he sees about the handwriting, though, is he's just like, it's clearly a woman's handwriting. That's right. How many women are associated with Dr. Victor? And they list off like six people and they're like, oh, and also he has a daughter, Nancy Victor. Yeah, I, that's the part I didn't understand. It was just women associated with him. What does that mean? I They just have a list of women who are associated with him for some reason hanging around. Yeah, that, that's the part that was confusing because it was like they wanted to have this little mystery, but they also didn't want it to take too long to solve. So they're like, 
yeah, there's uh, five women he knows. Oh, but one of his daughter? It's probably his daughter. So what Sam does is he goes undercover, and by how he goes undercover, he puts a hat on. And by the way, I'll mention, it's the same hat he wore from the pilot. Well, he's kind of dressed as a courier. <laughs> it's a courier, but it's the same orange hat he wore in the first episode. But he goes as a courier and basically, I don't know, kind of like sweet talks her a little bit to get her signature. Yes. And then comes back to the office to match them in this gigantic computer that they have. Yes, and the computer tells them these are the same signature. <laughs> yeah. Or the same writing anyways. It was a very confusing way about it of like confirming it was the daughter. Because yeah, like he goes there, delivers her a parcel and I, what I loved is he like while he's talking to her, he's like having a casual conversation. He's just like, oh yeah, you know what? I, I, I've delivered a, a package to your dad before, by the way, one time. She's like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah. He invited me inside. He gave me a beer. He's a real cool dude. Yeah, and she was like, yeah, that sounds like my dad. And I thought, he's really going out on a limb there. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's say it was, let's say this was you trying to catch me. And if you said to someone I knew, Jordan's a real good guy. He invited someone in for a beer. Guarantee that didn't happen. I'm not inviting some guy in for a beer. That's what I thought too. I'm like, that's a real, you're really taking a swing. Cause like 90% of people would not invite you in for a beer. Yeah. Just, just a delivery guy. Also, he's like a scientist seemingly that works long hours and is maybe a little bit eccentric and is probably introverted and only is interested in, you know, the projects he has. He's not inviting in uh, delivery guys, unless it's like a sex thing. <laughs> Well, I didn't think that, but I thought the rest of it. <laughs> you thought it might be a sex thing. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Sam calls back to the art gallery that Nancy Nancy works at from a payphone across the street and says, Hey, Nancy, it's me, your dad's friend, the delivery man. <laughs> I know. He, he's, he's going all in on this story. The cops are here at the delivery service, and they're asking about your dad. I wanted to give you a heads up because he's such a cool dude. Yeah, and then she's like, Thanks. This all adds up. I appreciate the heads up. She closes her gallery. By the way, d- did you ca- catch the name of her art gallery? Yeah, avant-garde art gallery. <laughs> I-, I loved it. It was my favorite thing in this episode. I was like, ooh, avant-garde, you say? Um, anyways, she jumps into her rather sexy red convertible and takes off. Sam's nearby, though, thankfully, with his motorcycle. Starts following her. And uh, when they both get stopped at a red light, what kind of scheme does he come up with here? He pulls up in a motorbike up to the cops and goes, hey, guys, see that red convertible up there? And by the way, this is the second time he's going to say this. He goes, I saw some turkeys put a stolen stereo in the back in the alley. And uh, and and the cops are like, oh, thanks for the tip. So they chase the car and pull her over. Now, can you just do that as a cop? It's the 70s, man. There's no there's no laws. <laughs> I guess. The cops have no laws to follow. They're making it up as they go. And they're just working on tips from random bikers. <laughs> this part is so crazy. Like they pull her over and they're like, open your trunk and show us what you've stolen. And they open the trunk and there's nothing inside of it, obviously. But I realized at this point, this was all a ploy for Sam to get her trunk open so that he could go invisible and climb inside of her trunk. Yeah, that's his plan. That's the craziest plan. Well, the weird thing about it, too, is all he has to do is follow her. And then there's so many other ways by being invisible you could follow her. But also, he could have just gotten her car. Well, get in the back seat. That's what I mean. Just get in the seat and then just sit there visible. I know. It's just this weird. It's like, why? And it's not like it becomes a plot point later on. It's just like, yeah, he's in the trunk. And then he gets out. And I, that was the other thing, too. I'm like, I guess you could 
he could open the trunk from the inside. He could open the trunk from inside the trunk. But when he got it, I'm like, aren't you trapped in the trunk now? Yeah, but he apparently could open it. So don't worry about it. It's, it's insane. I will tell you about the one, the thing I enjoyed about this sequence, Jordan. Uh, they drove past the movie theater and I got to look up what the movie was on the billboard. Oh, what was it? Uh, it was uh, Black Heat, a 1976 black exploitation film. Really? That's what was playing, huh? Yeah, that was that was a highlight for me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't when he called those guys turkeys. Uh, well, well I, that one flew past me. <laughs> At any rate, Nancy she drives her uh, red convertible like through drainage. What are those drainage ditches in LA where where if like there's a lot of raining, the flood water will run down? Like you see them in like Greece. She drives for a while. She knows there's no one following her because he's in the trunk, and she comes to this sort of secret building. And uh, and then he sees her somehow open the door. There doesn't seem to be a handle and goes in. And then he has to try to get into the building. And I thought, okay, this is going to be the beginning of the whole maze thing. And they really don't do anything with it. Well, that's what happens. Yeah. Nancy goes into this place. The building, the underground building that uh, Dr. Victor's lab is in it is apparently a maze of underground passages. But we never like it just looks like hallway like we they never shoot it in a way where we see it you see this sort of thing a lot in this is actually more of like a thing you see you know like cartoons and stuff but like the the villain has made a maze so the hero has to go through it but this is takes place in the real world in in the universe of this show who would have built that the scientist decided to make a lab and then said i'm gonna build a maze and he's gonna find an engineer and contractors to build this this is what he spent that $40 million override on. I guess. But but to your point, you know, nitpicking aside, it doesn't evoke a maze at all. It looks like they just shot in some sort of warehouse. And there's a lot of, like, the same-looking hallway with a, with a pipe and and, uh, and uh, wires running along it. But it doesn't look like a maze at all. They, they give you the feeling of, like, oh, he's going down different hallways. But there isn't even that many scenes of him getting, like, stuck or anything. It's just, like, he just keeps kind of going. And, he, and very quickly seems to find his way around anyway. Yeah, there's no dead ends. There's no a lot, a lot of turns even. Like, it just looks like he's in a basement. Yeah, it does. Uh, but anyway, Nancy gets to her dad in, in his secret lab in the middle of the maze. And she uh, it's like, Dad, I have to tell you, I got a warning from that delivery boy friend of yours. And uh, Dr. Victor's just like, he uh, it's so funny. The look on his face is just like, are you stupid? Is this what's <laughs> yeah. happening here? Is my yeah. daughter stupid? <laughs> My delivery boy friend? Yeah, he's like, you know, the only person I'd ever invite in for a beer is someone I'm kind of have sex with. I would never invite in just a random delivery boy. <laughs> um, but he, he, he sends out the Minotaur to patrol the mazes in case someone did get in. And the Minotaur is like, we kind of see the Minotaur robot just bulkily driving around these hallways. And he eventually does find Sam. But, you know, using his power, Sam goes invisible but this causes a real problem for our robot Minotaur because this does not compute. Yeah, he he says does not compute quite a bit. And I actually thought it was pretty good. It was, it makes sense. It's the, the robots chasing him. Although, again, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit because it looks like it, it, it goes at the speed of like a senior citizen in a walker. That's the speed this thing goes at. So there's always, they have a lot of Sam running away real top speed. I'm like, you could just walk backwards away from this thing. Yeah, it's like running away from a robot vacuum. <laughs> exactly it, you know it shoots at him a couple times but he just goes invisible and it freaks out it can't figure out it keeps going telling um the dr victor that there's an intruder and victor's like there isn't an intruder you stupid thing 
I love how much Victor argues with the robot. They're constantly arguing. It's just a slice of what their life is in the, in the lab when, when they're by themselves. But what I did like was this robot Minotaur, he actually starts to diagnose the problem. Like he, like he's actually a pretty competent AI. Yeah, and it does something pretty pretty interesting. Like as the doctor keeps saying, there's no one here, there's no one here. And then it goes, I'm going into, uh, what, what mode does it go into? It's uh, like heat vision or something. He's like, tra- it's like tracking. It goes into infrared mode, right? Infrared, that's it. That's what it is. And like he, it, it's able to figure out that like Sam's refracting light and um, that it's like he's out there somewhere. He just needs to like track him down correctly. And like we get a few scenes where like the robot's trying to find him with infrared. And you're right, Doctor or Doctor Victor's constantly yelling at him to come back and telling him there's no intruder. And the robot's just like, there is an intruder. He's like, no, there's not. There's no intruder. Yes, there is. Yeah, there's a lot of that. But uh, the minotaur finally catches him on a catwalk in, like, I don't know, a warehouse or something. And he uh, shoots his laser up at Sam. And he knocks him down onto a conveyor belt. A conveyor belt, which, by the way, is operating. And at the bottom of the conveyor belt is, like, uh, grinding wheels for clearly like breaking up metal or uh, large chunks of something. But I'm like, what is the doctor doing and where is he working? He just has these machines operating. But the whole point is you get that classic like James Bond-esque scenario where the hero is on a conveyor belt going to his, you know, utter demise. It is like a cartoon. Like the things that are happening in this one are a lot like a cartoon. I actually thought this was going to be a pretty cool scene. I'm like, how is he going to get out of this? And then it just stops. The grinding just stops. Yeah, no, Dr. Victor, now now that he's seen a visible Sam, believes the robot. So he just walks in there with a gun and says, like, get up, come into my lab. Yeah, and it's like, why didn't he just let him get killed? Just get let him get crushed. Yeah, but he doesn't. A fatal mistake. So now that they're in Dr. Victor's lab, um, Sam's being held at gunpoint. and uh, But, you know, Sam, he's pretty cocksure. He's got this invisibility going on. Nothing can stop him. He's, so he's just like, hey, Dr. Victor, you better surrender to me or I'm going to go invisible and beat you up. And uh, Dr. Victor's like, invisible? You're crazy. And Sam's like, yeah, check this out. And he pushes his watch. And once again, the watch is broken. It's not broken, actually. See, that's what the, the question I had, because I thought it was broken. But what it, I guess it is, is the robot is sending a signal that won't allow the watch to work with his condition that he has it's even crazier than that minotaur rolls into the office when he tries to do this and the minotaur says that he has computed a way to stabilize sam's molecular dna in close proximity the robot solved his problem so really for the rest of the show he should hang out with this robot if he wants to live a normal life well i just think what it says is there is a way to fix his invisibility and this robot figured it out almost instantaneously would you know why because it's a defensive robot Right, right. It's a. I, anyway, I was like, this robot is smart. I like this robot. I like where this is going. I like this robot a lot. The point is, he can't go invisible now. His ace in the hole is gone. And uh, Doctor Victor calls back up Leonard Intersect and says, "Give me my money now, or I'm just gonna like blow up Intersect because I know you sent your spy out here to get me." And he opens like a skylight in the roof, mm-hmm. and he tells Minotaur in like an hour or what like gives a timeline it's like just shoot straight up in the air and destroy intersect so its lasers have like an arc to them my assumption although they didn't say it and there's never an indication of it is that he's gonna shoot rockets or something right right oh maybe that's what it is but they don't ever say that i'm giving it the benefit of the doubt oh well you're you're a good man 
Uh, Sam calls Nancy over and kind of explains to her that uh, her dad is, in fact, a bad guy and completely crazy um, and not the good guy she thinks he is. And she turns so fast. It takes one conversation and she's like, yeah, I don't know anymore. And then she hears the doctor kind of being crazy and saying, you know, I want money and I'm going to kill everybody. And she's like, I guess he is bad. Well, it's funny because her dad's been telling her all this time. He's like, no, no, no. I'm doing all of this for world peace. You got to believe me. It's for world peace. And then when she hears him on the phone demanding money from Intersect, he this is my favorite part he, uh, of their relationship. He takes Nancy's side. And he's like, listen, Nancy, I'm doing this because I promised your mother I'd make you a rich little girl. Yeah. That is his only motivation is he promised his wife he would make his daughter a rich little girl. If I ever show you a secret lab and I have a robot that has the ability to blow up buildings and I tell you I'm doing it for world peace, do not believe me. No, fair enough. But will you make me a rich little boy? Oh, of course I will. Well, then go for it. (laughs) It's my only character trait. It's my motivation. (laughs) Anyway, Sam and Nancy, they they team up because it's like, it's time to stop crazy dad. Sam's like, look over there on his laboratory bench. And she looks over and there's a beaker of alcohol and a beaker of chromium trioxide. I love that you wrote it down. All I knew was, oh, them going to explode. And that's what happened. She she very casually just walks up to the two liquids and throws them at the ground and they explode. Well, it's funny, too, because they're sitting just two beakers. That's it. There's no other beakers. Yeah. Perfectly labeled. As I was watching it, I was just like, what do you think chromium trioxide is? And uh, Melanie was next to me. So she Googled it. And she's like, oh, that chromium trioxide? And it was, a, I should mention this, a bright purple liquid? Yeah. She's like, uh, this Wikipedia says it's bright orange when wet. <laughs> well, they did half the research. They did like, ha- they did next to no research. It just was so funny. I'm just like, man, oh, man, they couldn't nail anything. Could they? <laughs> but what I like, though, is she's thrown the two liquids now into the ground. They've burst into fire. And uh, the robot, Old Minotaur, his solution for it to stop the fire is to shoot all of his lasers at it. I feel like what happened was there was an explosion behind him. He panicked, yeah. turned around, fired his lasers, and like basically blows open the secure door to the lab, which gives Sam the opportunity to like run away because now there's an escape route. But it's so funny because the robot's turning back around to look at Sam, and it's so slow moving that Sam just runs around behind its back. And so when the robot finally turns back to where Sam was, he's gone. And the robot's like, where did he go? We kind of skipped over it real quick. But there's at least 10, 15 minutes of Sam running down the hallways and the robot chasing him and with its robo vision and stuff. But like at any point, Sam could have probably just run up to the robot and slid by him. And the robot wouldn't be able to get to him because it's so cumbersome. Here's my question for you. Because before all of this happens, when he's talking to Nancy, he essentially whispers a plan into her ear. And then what we see is her throw some chemicals, cause an explosion. The panicked robot shoots open a door. And he, was this, did he know, how could he have planned that? Well, that's what's weird about the scene because it sort of looks like a genius plan. But what they could have just done is Nancy could have just taken the two vials and thrown them at the door and had the same reaction. But like, I don't know how they knew the robot was going to shoot. And also, why even include that? You could have just had them blow up the door and run away. But they've some reason that we wanted the robot to be involved. But either way, Sam's a genius. So, so complicated, this plan. <laughs> anyway, unfortunately, since Sam's run away and he's gotten far enough away from the, from the robot, he's able to turn his invisibility back on. Yeah. And uh, the Minotaur 
who's supposed to be standing under the skylight to launch his rockets, I guess, becomes distracted because Sam's molecular destabilization has happened again. And so the robots is like, listen, uh, I got to go. I got to go deal with this guy and uh, I'm going to leave the lab. And Dr. Victor is just like screaming at him to come back. He's not listening to Dr. Victor anymore. Not at all. And uh, they have a little argument. The Minotaur don't care. So he chases down Sam and Sam's like running around the complex, like laying home alone traps. There's about five minutes there where it's there's a lot of uh, uh, the, I think the, the major one is that he gets Nancy to pour liquid on the ground and then they put a wire into the liquid and wait for the robot to come. And then they put the power on electrocuting him, which doesn't really do much to it. Well, that's what was funny. He like drives into an electrified puddle and you think, well, that's going to do something. The robot just shakes it off and keeps chasing them. There's another thing he does coming up, and I don't know if they had seeded it at all or explained why it bothers the robot, but uh, there's a lot of scenes of Sam up on a catwalk and the robot's trying to get him and shoot him. And what Sam keeps doing is throwing buckets of shredded paper or like it looks like confetti all, all over the robot. Is that what he's throwing? It's not paper. It's it's not tinfoil either, but it's essentially tinfoil. Like it's a... It's a thin metallic paper, basically tinfoil, I guess, that he's torn to pieces. And I guess when he throws it as confetti in front of the robot's sensors, it like some for some reason jams his sensors. Like for some reason, the metal does something and it causes his his visual acuity to go out. So that's that Westworld robot's uh, one flaw. Well, he's got a few flaws because Sam MacGyver's together another trap for the for the Minotaur, and it is from a wily e. coyote cartoon yeah yeah what he does is what you find is like the robot's coming to him and shooting him and he keeps tossing this uh uh metal paper on him so he's, he's maneuvering around and what you find out is sam has put sort of like something you'd see in like a safari in a cartoon which is a rope on the ground in a big hoop waiting for the robot to go over to it so he can tie the rope and then get him upside down yeah he's got a snare to catch the robot in and he uses a crane that's mounted to the ceiling to pull it up and basically flips the robot upside down so the robot's hanging by its legs upside its down in this or whatever snare. it is, yeah. And then he jumps, he climbs down the cable onto the bottom of the robot and like pulls out his motherboard and like destroys the Minotaur. Saves the day. It was so bizarre. And uh, the episode wraps up with Leonard arriving to arrest Dr. Victor. Dr. Victor has gone completely catatonic because the robot told him to obey not the other way around yeah because the robot said no dr victor you obey me he went catatonic wouldn't that do it to you and then uh doctor or sorry not doctor uh leonard driscoll walks in sees the broken 40 million dollar minotaur and he says how am i gonna explain this to the government (laughs) So that's clearly what's going to happen in every episode is that he's going to show up at the end and complain about the money that was that was wasted. That's his character. And there's like some jokes about their expense reports here again. Like, oh, yeah. And I was trying to remember. I'm like, because I, I love these dumb jokes that like imply there's a corporation with like they have to do reporting stuff. I was like, what? What is this reminding me of? What are these bad accounting jokes reminding me of? And you know what it is? Was it Badlands? Jake Cardigan on Tech War used to constantly oh, talk about his expense that's reports. That's right. That's funny. It's some sort of shorthand for something. 
I don't know. There, there's, there is actually a very funny idea and joke in there about bureaucracy and kind of having to actually work at one of these places where you're a superhero half the day, but the other half of the day you have to like fill out your reports. There is a funny idea in there. They're just they're never like executed. But the important thing is, the day was saved. Uh, he's probably going to go on a date with Nancy at some point too. Oh yeah, that's right. He's just like, hey Nancy, uh, or Nancy. Maybe Nancy asks him out afterward. Yeah, I can't remember, but they imply that they'll be they'll be uh, going out later. Yeah, no, I think it's Nancy. She's just like, so uh, you want to like go out sometime after this? And uh, he's just like, uh, yeah, I'll call you sometime. Yeah, <laughs> and that's it. That's the episode. All right. Well, let's. Uh, you want to get in and rate this? These two, then. I already know. I know mine are going to be higher than yours, and not because I think I think they're a much better show. I just think I have a higher tolerance for this type of show as opposed to you. The first episode. I think we've mentioned all the problems that are there, you know, and the big major one is that this is an episode and a TV show that is about a guy being invisible and they don't do it at all in this show. However, I am kind of a sucker for like a, just a car chase kind of episode. And I thought that was kind of fun. So I'm going to go just over halfway and give it five and a half, five and a half. eh? wow. Yeah. I mean, I agree. They abandoned the premise of the show in the first episode of their show yeah it's crazy i I mean listen i i'm tuning in for at least some mild variation on science fiction and you gave me a show about a truck i it's (laughs) i'm giving it a two i'm giving it a two two. and that's probably high i don't know about that but uh, that's fair enough but what uh what are you gonna give minotaur you know what minotaur had a big robot in it like it was a little more fun for sure it's still not a great show, but at least it was like doing something that fell into the idea of a science fiction adventure. Yeah. And like, that's some fun. I like the robot. I thought he was fun. I thought the adventure was kind of fun when they, when the robot was like figuring out how to use his stuff. Like I, I liked the robot and what it was working on more than anything. I'm going to give it a 5.5. As per usual, I think I'm going to give it slightly higher. I'm going to get this a 6.5. I think th- my major disappointment was the maze didn't really amount to anything. And uh, and I could see the turn of the daughter, you know, uh, realizing things like from a mile away. So uh, with all the kind of spinning wheels and stuff, it could only really be a 6.5. But now let me ask you, more importantly, are we in danger of taking the escape pod now? First of all, I just want to say, if you are watching this and any turn in this show catches you by surprise, <laughs> see a doctor. Yeah, fair enough. Probably have developed a brain tumor of some sort. Yeah, okay. You, you need to see a medical professional. <laughs> I have two questions. What's our overall score? And, and how many episodes do we have to watch before it's a we're in the danger zone? I will tell you right now, we are now a quarter of the way through the show. So we are well within a range to take the escape pod out of it. So really, it is just a matter of seeing whether it falls below a five. I think then let's uh, let's hold hands and uh, boot up the machine. Okay, well, it makes typing harder when you hold my hands, but uh, we'll do my best. It's the only way we can do it. So our Continuum Drag computer score has been punched in, and the show is currently at a five. Oh, man. It is literally... On the green side of the arrow by the slightest margin. We live for at least one more podcast episode. One more week. It has one more week to redeem itself. You know what? I I think that's fair because I don't think this is a terrible show. I just think 
it hasn't gotten out of its formula that it's trying to uh, work in yet. And I have a feeling it's probably never going to be able to do that, but I'd like to give it at least another one more shot. Well, yeah, it has two more episodes to redeem it for itself for us. Uh, otherwise, who knows what will happen? Well, I know it's going to happen. We're going to take the escape pod. Oh, dear. Well, Jordan, um, good talking with you about this. I always have a um, a little bit of enjoyment when I know that you're really, really hating that watching a thing, it, it really tickles me a little bit uh, during my week. You're a uh, disgusting man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. I'm just kidding. All right. Listener, uh, I think we're going to have some fun little uh, video clips from this one. Uh, definitely a lot with that robot, the Minotaur. Definitely some trucker lingo. Oh, and I got to have that scene where he says, I don't got a union card. And then two men pretend like they know how to laugh <laughs> yeah i'll make sure that's on there um but yeah there'll be some good stuff at uh, continuum drag on twitter and uh instagram and if you got some insider scoops some uh, juicy tidbits about gemini man you can email us at well you're hoping you told me ahead of time you wanted a lot of people to email you about this show because you wanted to talk about it and watch it and uh write songs hey, about if you it. got juicy gossip i want to hear it <laughs> You can get us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And uh, that about wraps it up, listener. So thanks so much for uh, joining us this week. And uh, Jordan, see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes, Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard.